Welcome to Kiss of Life. I'm Jill Hoy, and this is my true unscripted story about how a wonderful but unexpected kiss combined with an unwavering faith in the guidance of my heart takes me away from my seemingly perfect and fabulous life to begin an amazing spiritual journey on the other side of the world. So the story begins in 1992 in London. I was 25 years old and my husband Gordon, who was Chinese from Hong Kong, was 30 and we were living in a very nice area of London called St. John's Wood. And I was working in the head office of a lighting design company, uh, actually the second largest lighting company in the world at that time. And it was a job which I absolutely loved and I had the most amazing boss. And Gordon was an architect and he was working in Canary Wharf, but he had just suddenly decided to give it all up to become a professional golfer. So, of course, becoming a professional golfer was absolute nonsense. Um, he'd never actually played golf in his life before, but suddenly this became his goal. And so I went off to my office every day and Gordon went off to the golf course. So although uh, Gordon did have some properties which he rented out across London and so um, he did have a business. So um, and actually there's a funny story about one of the properties which he had rented out to the band Oasis who were kind of at the peak of their fame around that time. Um, first he rented the house to Liam Gallagher and his wife Patsy Kensett whilst their house was being renovated and then when they moved out Noel Gallagher and his wife uh, rented it and um, I have to say that Gordon was pretty unimpressed by most things and just couldn't get his head around what the big deal was about this about this band and um, was basically pulling his hair out because he couldn't understand why all these groupies, these fans, were hanging around outside the house. And he absolutely hated that they wrote all over the pavement, they wrote all over the fence and the gate, and uh, he was constantly offering to clean it all up. But they, they just didn't seem to care, which just drove him bonkers. It drove him to distraction. Anyway, one Sunday afternoon when Gordon and I were at home, we were in the middle of lunch and he suddenly got this phone call from the managing agent explaining that Noel had locked himself out of the house and as the office was closed because it was a Sunday and as Gordon had a spare set of keys and lived only 10 minutes up the road, would he mind letting him in? So Gordon said, okay, no problem, but I'm going now. So tell him to wait for me at the house. So, um... Apparently Noel was in the pub across the road from the house and Gordon arrives, totally unimpressed, and goes into the pub, couldn't care less who Noel Gallagher was, um, and he didn't really get Oasis or really like their music, um, and said to him, are you Noel? And, and of course he replies, he goes, yes mate, who, who are you? And uh, Gordon said, I've, I've, I've come to let you into your house, you know, so if you're ready, shall we go? And uh, Noel Gallagher replies to him, goes, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, all right, mate, just give me five minutes. And Gordon was like, um, no, actually, I'm not giving you five minutes. Would you like to come now? Otherwise, forget it. I'm not I'm not waiting for you. So Noel Gallagher's like, OK, OK, all right, mate, no need to get so so shirty. You know, I'll be out in two minutes. So anyway, so Gordon says, OK, I'll wait for you outside. I'm parked right outside. So Gordon's sitting in the car waiting outside. 
and Noel comes out of the pub and Gordon's watching him and he looks left and he looks right and Noel's obviously looking for a locksmith's van uh, and so he's like looking around wondering you know where this Chinese guy's gone anyway Gordon puts the window down of his car and shouts through the window Noel I'm here so anyway he's like get in the car and I'll drive you around so Noel Gallagher goes up to the window of the car looks in through the window at Gordon and goes fucking hell mate you're kidding me aren't you and Gordon's like what and he goes you're a fucking locksmith and you're driving a ferrari i can't fucking believe it that's so kingly you're a locksmith and you're driving a fucking ferrari anyway gordon is just beyond at this stage and gordon looks at him and says excuse me i am not your locksmith i happen to be your landlord anyway and so noel gallagher's like oh my god that's so kingly that's so kingly Anyway, Gordon's like, just get in the car and I will drive you around. So he drives him round to the garage and Gordon gets out of the car and goes to unlock the garden gate. And uh, anyway, and then sort of turns around and sees that Noel is not behind him. And it's like, he's still sitting in the car. So Gordon says to him, I've opened the door for you. You can get out now. And Noel's in the car going through the window. I can't open the door. I don't know how to get out. Anyway, it was just very funny. Gordon was very um, unimpressed by it. But I have to say that a few uh, a few times when we were walking around St. John's Wood, we would sometimes see Noel and uh, Liam walking together. And they would always literally run across the street to Gordon and give him a high five and, and try and shake his hand. And they'd be going, you're so kingly, you're our landlord and you're so fucking kingly. So which Gordon found all rather, um, all rather embarrassing and all rather kind of awkward. But um, Anyway, so so we had this amazing big group of friends in London and who were from absolutely everywhere and anywhere. And one of these very dear friends was Arvind, who was from India and who at that time was working um, for his family business in London. And it was early in the year when Arvin announced that he was going to get married to a girl called Shagun in Delhi in December and that it would be this incredible seven-day wedding and that we were all invited. So obviously we hadn't met Shagun. She was only 19 at that time when she married Arvin and she had never left India. So um, you can't even imagine how completely overwhelmed she was when she met us all a few months later at Gordon's uncle's house in the south of France. So, I mean, just crazy days. And we moved in this very big group and um, she was rather thrown in at the deep end. So um, it was crazy days to say the least, but it was so much fun. Um, but anyway, so we, we were all booked on the same flight from London to India. And there was about 20... 25 of us uh, in total and absolutely none of us had ever been to India before so we had absolutely no idea what to expect. I think the only time any of us had been to India was to make a stopover on the way to Hong Kong because then uh, there were no direct flights. So 
and it was quite funny on the airplane because of course you know we're all checking in together and there's this sort of huge uh, entourage and the chaos and uh, of traveling together and it was just really good fun but Gordon's uncle um, during the flight um, brought us all these brought us all a small tin of caviar each with these small toasts which he'd bought in the in the airport in the duty-free before we left and he bought one for each of us and he's so incredibly generous and um, he was obviously sitting in first class so he he and Gordon and I were sitting we were sitting in business class with some of our other friends and then we had some other friends in uh, economy anyway it was just quite funny because um, Gordon's uncle came you know um, slip slopping down the aisle in his first class slippers and uh, was sort of handing out these these tins of caviar which seemed to be like everyone because there were so many of us on the plane and apparently when he got to the um, to our friends in economy apparently there were so many people ringing the stewardess's bell saying um, excuse me where's my caviar you know I, I seem to have missed the handout of these tins of caviar anyway it was just crazy times so um, but anyway so we arrive in in Delhi airport and it's the middle of the night and we're all standing at the baggage carousel waiting for our waiting for our luggage and suddenly Arvin appears and we were like Arvin what the hell are you doing in the baggage hall anyway um so we collect our bags and we go outside with Arvin and where there's like this convoy of cars waiting to take us to his farm and there were all these armed guards and when I say armed I mean like proper armed as in like AK-47 machine guns armed and I have to say we were all looking at each other thinking oh my god where the hell are we going anyway we had no idea what to expect it was like pitch dark um, uh, we couldn't you know it's like we're tired we're like slightly overwhelmed by it all excited all these different emotions anyway we get into our cars and um, and Gordon and I are in a jeep with Arvin and his security and and I look at the windscreen and I see that there's a bullet hole in the windscreen and I remember thinking fuck where are we going we're all, we're all going on the road to hell I mean we had no idea where we were going anyway so we're traveling on these kind of I want to say dirt roads they weren't really dirt roads not exactly but they weren't the highways that they have now in Delhi so um, and it's a bit of a free free for all there's no there was no kind of proper highway with divided lanes and um, it's like a it's like a serious free for all where everyone's competing with like camel carts and tuk-tuks and trucks and and everyone's just kind of going for it beeping their horn um, and I have to say, if you've never experienced uh, uh, Indian driving, it has to be experienced at least once in your lifetime, if only just to feel grateful to still be alive. So um, anyway, quite an experience. But we arrive at Arvin's farm and we're all staying in these uh, guest cottages dotted around his property for the week. And it's completely dark, so impossible to get any kind of um, perspective or bearings on where we were and we're all pretty tired and and uh, kind of experiences experiencing a, a serious overload of the senses um but the next morning we wake up and we look out of the windows and it's absolutely incredible and we are in the middle of this oasis of green of calm of 
um, these beautiful manicured gardens, these manicured lawns, which just went on forever. And there's peacocks wandering around the lawn and there's mango trees everywhere. And um, I mean, just it was just incredible. And there was even a small there's even a small golf course on Arvin's land because uh he had been in his youth, he had been a championship golfer. And so he had even a small golf course there, which was just, I mean, it was just wonderful. I mean, it was beautiful. And we would, we would like, wow. Anyway, so Arvin insisted we all had breakfast together every morning. So we went over to the main house and we had breakfast with him. And as we were having breakfast, we were looking out of the windows, which were kind of big floor to ceiling windows. So we had this wonderful view of, of his, of his uh, property. And under, a, uh, under the sort of shade of a mango tree, there was a man, uh, doing a headstand and he was wearing these orange, uh, wearing orange clothing and he was doing a headstand and he was doing a headstand when we arrived for our breakfast and a couple of hours later when we had finished our breakfast he was still in the headstand so we're all asking each other what the hell is that man doing like and why anyway arvin told us oh yeah he's doing yoga and we were like well, what's yoga so i mean Obviously, we'd heard about yoga, but I don't think any of us really knew what it, exactly what it was. And at that time, um, you considered a bit strange and, and a bit weird if you did yoga. So, so um, we had no idea what this man was doing. But it was, for me, my very first experience of yoga. So for me, when I look back on it, it was actually very special. But... Um, Anyway, so uh, there was a party uh, on the farm every night and I was a bridesmaid at the wedding, which they call in India a sister. Um, and it was just such an incredibly magical week. I mean, it was a crazy week as well, I have to say. I mean, Indian uh, hospitality is um, is just overwhelming. And uh, I think we all we all drank um like a year's worth of alcohol in one week anyway but um all the parties were held on the farm and um and actually on the first day it was quite funny because we were waiting for cars to take us arvin was taking some of us shopping and we were waiting for the cars to arrive and we saw all these gentlemen on one of the lawns and they were in rows with sewing machines and they were all sewing this pink fabric into sort of uh, pleats and we asked Arvin, you know, um, what are these guys doing? They're all like in rows, like sewing. You know, what what are they making? And Arvin just casually says to us, oh, uh, they're stitching the marquee for the last night. You know, um, yeah, because we'll have like a thousand people. And we were like, ah, right, it's Monday. And they're sewing a marquee for a thousand people for like Saturday. Yeah, of course they are. Anyway, sure enough. The marquee was hand-stitched and was just incredible, beautiful. The roof of the marquee was all with this pleated pink fabric and um, just stunning. And I think I'm correct in saying that there were uh, 52 crystal chandeliers hanging from the roof of this marquee. I mean, it was just beautiful, just stunning. And Shagun was 
beautiful as well, especially on her wedding day. And the jewels were just absolutely magnificent. I mean, it was just, a, just such a wonderful experience. And, um, I think I should explain, and I do have permission from Shagun to say this, that Arvin and Shagun both come from one of the most important royal families in India. And there were so many Maharajas at the wedding. And I kind of made it my goal for the week that I had to have a photograph taken with every single one of them. So at every party, I was sort of um, weaving my way through the, the hundreds and hundreds of people finding, um, the, you know, another Maharaja to have a photograph taken with because they were just magnificent. I mean, it was just wonderful. Anyway, I loved every moment of this trip. I loved the smells, the sounds, I loved the people, the crazy traffic, the food, um, the traditions, the colors, everything. I loved absolutely everything. And little did I know that this trip was just the beginning of so many wonderful trips to come. And Shagun and I became very good friends. Uh, we are still very, very good friends. I love her dearly, which makes Arvin a little bit jealous sometimes. And, um, and she was definitely, without question, the one who inspired my curiosity about spirituality and about yoga. Um, Shagun has an aura about her, which is incredibly special um, and very magnetic. She has this grace uh, about her, which is um, truly inspirational. And um, I'm super grateful for the friendship of both Arvin and Shagun. And so one day after another visit, uh, on another visit, uh, soon after their wedding, Shagun asked me if I would like to accompany her to uh, the Sikh temple. And she showed me um, uh, the holy book and she showed me how they put the, the book, the holy book to bed every night and how they sing mantras 24-7 and there's always someone chanting for the holy book. And it was just amazing to have somebody to show me the rituals and, and show me um, exactly um you know, what was what was going on in these temples. And she also showed me her favorite Hindu temple as well, which I absolutely loved. And uh, we went for blessings, which I loved. We tied the red string, which I consequently did for many years, for many years uh, to come. And for the very special people in my life, I did, uh, I did the, the, the blessings. And um, these days with Shagun were so lovely. And one morning, she told me, Jilly, today I'm going to take you to my favorite bookshop. So we went to, uh, we jumped in the car and off we went and we went to go and buy our um, hot, sweet Indian coffee. And if you have never had uh, Indian coffee, you absolutely should because it's it's absolutely delicious. And um, so we went to go and buy our coffee from Natu's, which is this very famous sweet shop. And then we went to the to the bookshop and the gentleman in the bookshop gave Shagun and I a little stool each to sit on and we went to the spiritual corner of the bookshop and pulled up our stools and, and drank our coffee and Shagun was um, uh, showing me all her favorite books and um, explaining to me what they were about and and uh, showing me um, different um, sections of different books and different gurus and she was talking about gurus and yoga and 
Kirtan and Pranayama and which I didn't know anything about then. I mean, I honestly hadn't got a clue what she was talking about. Anyway, she then pulls out a book from the shelf uh, called Living with the Himalayan Masters. And she said to me, you know, this book is really special. And she talked to me about it. And she said, I, I want you to have this book as a gift. So um, I opened the book and, and I looked at it and the book was just like double Dutch to me. I just couldn't understand any of it. And while she was explaining to me why she was giving me this book, all I kept thinking was, why is she giving me the heaviest book on the shelf to carry all the way back home with me to London? So I have to say it wasn't until probably some 20 years later that I realized exactly why Shagun had given me this wonderful book and why it would become so important to me in the years to come. Thank you for listening. I hope you found something in my story that maybe made you take a pause or perhaps sparked your interest or just simply inspired you to follow your heart. If you did, then please give Kiss of Life a like and a follow. And of course, don't forget to tell all of your friends. That would be amazing. Sending you all love and light. Thank you. This podcast was edited and hosted by Ivan Gluckman, with music by Lucas Hoy. Original artwork by Chandre Bouchot. True and unscripted storytelling by Jill Hoy, with direction from me, Matt Penman.